papers here. I only have one, two, three, four, five, six if you need them. If you're keeping your own notes, don't need this, that's fine. We are growing a child in stature. So we have the D-I-A-P-E-R. Who else would like one? There we go. So we are in the growing in stature. We've talked about growing in wisdom. The second category is one that we might say, well, that's not very spiritual. It's not very, it must not be very important. But in fact, the Bible has a lot to do to say about our physical existence. Growing in stature is growing physically. Stature is getting tall. We're going to grow in stature. That means we're growing up. That's what we usually think of as becoming mature physically. And so we recognize that we can put a scale on a wall and we can mark our child's growth physically, how tall they are. But that's only one part of stature. Stature isn't just the height. Stature is the entire build, your entire physicality that God expects us to grow in stature. It includes uh, aspects of health and not only um, physical uh, maturity, but also strength and health. And so we want to talk about this. Does the Bible refer to this? Well, it refers to it a lot. In fact, some of your most precious characters in the Bible, one of the things we have listed in there is a physical description of them. Uh, let's talk about, let, let's just go through the kings of Israel a little bit. What about uh, the first one, King Saul? What do we know about him? He was a head taller than everyone else, but he wouldn't take on the giant. That means he was this much taller than everyone else in Israel. Okay? So we know that about him. He was a physical specimen of the, of the people. What do we know about King David, number two? He was ruddy and he was, and what do we know about some of his children? What about Absalom? What do you know about him? He grew a lot of hair, right? You know that? Seven, seven pounds. They cut it once a year. I cut my hair this week. Did you notice? It was not seven pounds. I grew it and grew and grew it. I could not come out with seven pounds. I think it would take me decades to come out with seven pounds because only half my head is growing hair anymore. And most of it's below my ears. So, so, not, so we, we, and what about, let's see some other characters. What about Samson? What do we know about him? He had long hair. It's, a, it's like a theme. What else do we know? He was powerful, wasn't he? He was a powerful man. So physical stature, physicality is described in the Bible. We know ages. How old was Abram when he had his son Isaac? Old. He was really old. Hundred. Okay? And so age, physical presence, all of those things um, are recorded in Scripture. And so when they describe people growing up like Jesus, he grew in wisdom, he grew in stature, he physically matured, and he grew in favor with God and in favor with men. But Samuel is the other example we use, and he grew in stature. But stature, again, isn't just your physicality, it is your presence. And so it is about how you carry yourself. And so growing in wisdom is going to be connected to growing in favor with God. 
Growing in stature is going to be connected to growing in favor with man. Because stature isn't just about your physical being, it's about your physical presence. Okay? And so a man of great stature, when we talk about a man of great stature in history, what are we talking about? Are we talking about his size, weight? What are we talking about? A great, he's a great man of stature in our society. His role, his influence, his work, his, his accomplishments. So they talk about his physical accomplishments. And so we know the physical accomplishments of many people. And, and if you think Samuel was some puny little guy, I suggest you read the scripture again. He grew in stature, and he could pick up a sword and hack a king to pieces. And he did. King Agag. Because Saul didn't do it. So they call the guy in, and he's like, and he just hacks the man into pieces, plural. Okay? And if you think Jesus was some little wimp, again, you haven't read the scriptures. No one challenged him when he's driving people out of the temple, not once, but twice. He's throwing over tables. He's got a whip in his hand, and he's a dominant figure. He grew in stature. And if you read what he endured prior to hanging on the cross and what he endured on the cross, he did not die because his body gave up. He died because his heart burst. And, and he could have endured a lot. He did endure a lot. The carrying of the cross itself sometimes killed people, especially after suffering all the things he had suffered, the bloodletting that had occurred prior to his crucifixion. He was a physical specimen that was of substance. He was a carpenter's son. I don't know if you've ever seen carpenters, but um, they didn't have divine fitness. They had work. These guys worked. So we um, come to stature and we think, well, we can just ignore that. Even in the New Testament, Paul, who was probably the worst statured person, and we know that because he says so. I'm weak in my presence. I, I, I have infirmity in my body. Um, but God chooses to be strong where I'm weak. And then he picks another guy, Timothy, as his protege. And what do we know about Timothy's physicality? He was kind of sickly. He had stomach issues, so he was not supposed to just drink water, um, which, again, wasn't chlorinated and carefully treated like the water you drink. Um, it was just the water. And so he said, drink a little wine, which is um, adding that to water. Wine is not strong drink. Um, and add some wine to your water and drink that for your stomach's sake. And we know that the enzymes and the things that wine makes wine wine are good for your stomach, actually. It's the alcohol content that's the problem. And so we're not talking about liquor. We're talking about watered down wine. So we're not even talking about wine that you would have here in our day. Um, but it says add a little bit of that um, for your health benefits. And even in James, we are told uh, not only to pray for people when they're sick, but we're also supposed to do something else. What is it? Anoint them with oil. Well, that's not about putting a little cross of olive oil on their forehead. That was a medicinal work. And we talk about the balm of Gilead. And anointing with oil was something we did to encourage physical health. So we're going to talk about all these different things. 
because they all deal with physicality. We are supposed to be parenting our children to mature physically and doing what is necessary that they might grow in stature, not only their physical being, but their physical presence. That means not only that I have a body, but I'm using it in a godly way. Okay, to have a positive influence on those around us or substantial influence on those around us. So it's not only about having a healthy body, it's also about not worshiping my body, but rather recognizing that the strength of this body is intended to be at God's disposal to serve him with. And so um, do children have bodies? <laughs> Thank you. Yes, they do. Do you all have a body? Yes, and they all have capacity in their body. Did you know that? Every one of them have capabilities. Some of them are natural. Some of them have to be developed. Um, there are skills. What's the difference between a skill and a talent? A talent you can't hardly teach. It's just something you possess. A skill is something you can learn. Every child can learn skills with their body. We're going to talk about that down the road here a little bit. Um, and so uh, they have something to contribute they have energy, they have muscles, they, they, can, they have feet, they can do all of these things. They can participate and they should participate. So we're going to talk about exercise, we're going to talk about all, all of these things. All these things matter to God. And so we're going to be using our physical being, our body, and our physical presence to the service of God. We want to bring our children to the point of being able to do that. And that is a two-pronged facet of growing in stature. All right, so the first letter is letter, any questions on that? Concerns that it's not biblical? I'm trying to tie this together, um, and I didn't even talk about the women and which ones were pretty and which ones weren't pretty and, and about some of the fat people and some of the uh, other unhealthy people in Scripture um, that's it, it's kind of like, ooh, you know, when you stab a person, he's so fat, the knife goes all the way in and to the handle, and it disappears in him. You know, I mean, that was Cicero, yeah, him. And so we have those descriptions in the Bible, so we know these things, all right? And Eli, what happened? How did Eli die? He fell, he fell over, and he was so heavy that it killed him which still happens today. Old people get, get, have some balance issues, but his was a shock to his system. He fell over, and the weight of his body killed him. Okay, and that, that's not uncommon. That's, that's several descriptions of that in the Bible. So we're going to talk about things like that, about weight and about strength and about all of those areas. All right, and that's more than just one category. That's many categories. So let's start off on your paper with the D. We're going to try to get D and I. So, discipline. Now, remember, discipline had two prongs. One was corrective action. The other one was what? I'm going to correct you when you do wrong. What's the other side of discipline? Structure. Having a structure in their life. And I want to share with you that in this area of growing your children in stature, while 
Growing them in wisdom, we focus almost entirely on the corrective action because we want them to hate sin and love righteousness. We want them to do that because that is the fear of the Lord, right? Is to hate evil. So we use corrective action predominantly. Well, in the growing in stature, now the emphasis is on the discipline, the structure of it. And so um, this is so vitally important to your child's development physically. And if you think that the physical and the mental are not connected, you don't understand how God created you very well. They are connected. And so there are physical features and problems that you create in your children that inhibits their development mentally. And I see parents undermining their children's mental development because they are so poor at developing their physical component of who they are. So if your child is, is hungry, if they're thirsty, if they're malnourished, guess what happens to their brain function? Their capacity to learn and to think and to, have, and to, be, and to be critically uh, evaluating things. It diminishes substantially. And I saw that in Haiti. Uh, the biblical term for that is the brightness of their eyes. And there's a great example of that. What's the example of that? The one whose eyes brightened. Jonathan. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel as well. Good, you got them both. <laughs> Those are the two big ones. Okay, how do we evaluate if they're healthy? Their skin, their eyes. When I look into a child's eyes and they're dull, they are not being disciplined at home physically. And I'm not talking about corrective action. I'm talking about structured. And that's just one area. It's not just diet. That's about sleep. It's about exercise. It's about fluids. It's about the proper diet, not heavy in sugars and things like that. We're going to talk a little bit about that here um, probably next week more. I'll reference it a couple times here. And so all of that, the Bible talks about their eyes brighten. Jonathan is a great example because this is an adult. This, this doesn't change because you become an adult now. I can eat whatever and sleep whenever and it doesn't affect me. It does. Jonathan, is, of course, is out there. He was fighting. He initiated the battle, remember, with the Philistines. He was getting Israel great victory. Um, the battle waxed on throughout the day. He didn't know that his father, Saul the king, had made everyone swear an oath that they would not eat until the victory was complete. What a foolish thing to make everyone swear to. Jonathan didn't know that, and so in the midst of the battle, he was starting to fatigue, and he found a honey, he found a hive, and he found the honey, dipped his spirit, and he ate off of that, and it says his eyes brightened, and he was strengthened by it, and he became a second, <laughs> he was the second or third or fourth wave of victory, not only the first one, he was the final one, um, because everyone else was famished, and they were just diminishing capacity to fight for the Lord, and so when we look at this, we, have, we, we see the evidence that these things matter. And so they're connected. Your capacity to grow in wisdom is connected very carefully to, your, to how you're growing in stature. So what is the structure we're talking about? We're talking about several areas. I've already referenced diets. So let's, 
let's just reference diet right there. That we hopefully understand that there is a reason we should be telling our children that we want to have them balanced meals. What is a balanced meal? What do we mean by that? Um, any ideas? What's a balanced meal? Does that mean that they stand on one foot while they're eating and develop their balance? What is a balanced meal? Yes. A mix of vegetables, fruit, and meat. You missed a one or two categories. Ah, okay. You missed one last category. Bacon. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So we hopefully understand, and we'll talk a little bit about nutrition, uh, probably, like I said, more next week. But I just want to share with you, um, number one addiction in the United States. What is the number one addiction that in our country? Sugar. It isn't cocaine, it isn't alcohol, it isn't tobacco. The number one most deadly addiction in this country is sugar. Sugar kills. It is the number one cancer-causing element that is in our consistent diet of everybody. Number one. Because it creates acidosis in your body and that... Uh, encourages cancer cells to grow and and it is no benefit to your healthy cells so that is your number one addiction that you have complete control over in your child's life and when we talk about sugar we're not just talking about whether they uh, number one place for sugars are in their drinks it's in the Gatorades it's in the soda pops it's in all of those things and I, we, we strongly discourage that. Um, in our children growing up, they rarely had a soda. They got one like, I don't know, maybe once a week, something like that. But we had lots of malts. So that's where their sugar came from was the malts. Uh, we, we, we prefer to keep our sugar in the form of chocolate and ice cream. That was growing up, that was their experience. But the tragedy is is that when you go shopping almost every product you're getting at the store is inundated with two things salt and sugar because those are the things that are addictive and the industry admits it we can make you eat more than one they even announce it in their commercial you can't eat just one try because as soon as you eat one you're addicted that combination of sweet and, and, and salt is strongly addictive. So in terms of bringing structure to your child's diet, um, you need to control, the number one product you need to control going into their body is sugar. And I'm talking about man-made sugars, which is high fructose corn syrup um, and uh, processed sugars. Does that mean they can't have any ever? Um, no. Um, but you should be trying to replace a lot of those with natural sugars, which would be what? Fruit, fructose, if you want to know the technical term for it, the sugars that are in fruit. And in the Bible, this is what they use. What did they use? They used grapes. They used pomegranates. They used all of these natural sugars is what they consumed. 
there was no processed sugar. What was the other sugar? They, the land flowing with what? Milk and honey. Okay, that's a natural sugar. And it is extremely good for you. It's a disinfectant. Did you know that? The, yes, you can use it on a wound. You can put honey in a cut and it will help disinfect it. It will help diminish allergies substantially. I grew up as an allergic child with severe asthma and other hay fever allergies. I lived on a farm. And so every day I got fed honey, local honey, every day. Two spoonfuls of honey every day. Doctor's orders. Had to be within so many mile radius of where we live so all the pollens were the same as what I was struggling with. And that was just for survival. That was survival for me. Uh, because I lived on a farm where they were harvesting soybeans that I was deathly allergic to. And so it was survival food for me. And so not all, all sugar is evil. But when man touches your food and, and manipulates food, that's when you're usually going to have problems. And so uh, be aware, that's the number one addiction in not only this country, but I've been to enough countries now that I'm going to have to say that is a universal experience. Um, I've been to country after country, and sugar is, is an addictive element. Okay, So when we talk about, am I going to provide structure? I'm going to provide structure to their diet. Now, the old adage was, what do we tell our kids at the dinner table? Eat your vegetables. That was the old adage. And, and it was, why was it an adage? Because there's wisdom in that. We're going to have our children eat their vegetables. It's a priority over the carbs. It's a priority over the meats. Eat your vegetables. If you don't, can't eat all your meat, if you can't eat all your carbs, you will eat all your veggies. Period. Now, um, how early did we get started on this addiction to sugar? Um, well, I fed my children formula. Uh, most of you gals transitioning from breastfeeding to regular table food or filling formula. Um, what's the primary ingredient of formula? Do you know? Number two is, after lactose, is corn syrup. Corn syrup is the ingredient that makes them want to go that's why they suck it so hard. <laughs> is that now not high fructose? Normally it's just corn syrup. But corn syrup by itself is also sweet. It's just not just processed to be even super sweet. And so uh, we begin at a very early age, don't we? Um, sweetening everything because we learned a little song: a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And pouring sugar on vegetables is not the solution. Okay? And so if you get those little fruit strips and you say, oh, I'm giving my kids fruit and it's a strip that looks like plastic, guess what? That is not fruit. That is predominantly sugar with fruity flavor and maybe some fruit juice added to it. But that is not balanced. That is not their fruit for the day. How many fruits and vegetables? You should have a structure. It should be their predominant food source for them um, and they should be breastfed, structured in it. So that's their 
structure of their food. But is that the only structure they need in their life physically? No. They should also have a schedule. They should be on a carefully guarded schedule. A parent that doesn't carefully guard their child's schedule is doing a disservice to them growing in stature physically. What does this mean to have a carefully guarded schedule? It means that that child gets up approximately the same time every day and it's not at noon. It's in the morning, early in the morning. That they have nap time because that is, and it should be approximately the same time. That they are going to have their meals at about the same time and that they're going to have a, a, a bedtime at the same time and it's going to be early. How many hours of sleep do children need? Anybody have an idea for, let's just say, uh, zero to two? 16 hours, zero to two. They're awake eight. They're sleeping more than they're awake. Um, here's something you want to, I got to share with you. They grow while they sleep. Most physical growth in stature happens while a child's sleeping. And if your child isn't sleeping enough, you're stunting their growth. They need to have regular scheduled naps, regularly scheduled night. Their nighttime sleep should be 12 hours. Which means if you want them to get up at 7, what time do they go to bed? 7. Not midnight, not 10 when you go to bed, not, but they should have that period of time. If they're not getting that, then they need more substantial naps. But they should get it. You should be scheduling their sleep. Sleep deprivation is going to cause multiple things. We already talked about stunting their physical growth. It will also cause behavioral issues. Sleep deprivation is the number one cause of behavioral issues in school next to sugar. I'm just going to write down a list that I found. <laughs> sleep deprivation, it's a behavioral issue. Because they get, what do they get when they're tired? Cranky grumpy, which really turns into disobedience and rebellion. And some it's just that they're sleep deprived. What does a sleep deprived child sound like? I don't want to go to bed. It's usually the last words they say right before they just crash. And whose fault is that? It is yours. Um, when I, when it's my turn to grandparent, and that's, uh, certain days, I don't, I, I conform my schedule that when my grandchildren come to my house, they are on the exact same schedule at my house every time they come to my house. At exactly this time, we will do this, at exactly this time, and depending upon their age, and, and that varies, like I said, as they grow, you're going to modify this to conform to that. You might say, well, I have children at this age and that age. Yes, you're going to have to deal with that. And so, I don't schedule a whole bunch of things to do on grandparent day. I have the schedule for them. And so we're going we're gonna to nap here. We're going to exercise here. We're going we're gonna to read here. We're going to eat here. We're going to take a nap here. We're going to get up here. And, we're, and that's the schedule. And 
my grandchildren, when they come in that door, know exactly what's coming every day. You might say, Pastor, how do you live? On the other days. <laughs> yeah. That's why God intended one of the family members to stay home and raise the children. Period. And because then you're committing your life to this schedule. And, um, and I encourage very young mothers, young mothers with babies, I was like, you sleep when the baby sleeps because your body is in recovery mode as well. And you should be sleeping whenever the baby sleeps. You might say, well, when am I going to get anything done? That is your job to do. And that's why dad, husband, needs to pick up the slack, especially the first six months. And I believe a lot of postpartum depression is because of the very same things the children get grumpy about, and that is what? Sleep deprivation, lack of proper schedule, lack of proper rest, because instead of sleeping with the child, um, when the, on the child's schedule, we're up. And a, and a mom needs her sleep. She needs her nutrition. She needs her sleep. So the baby does. Little children do. And the more a child says, I don't want to go to bed, the more they need to go to bed. And I love John Rosemont. He used to have a, I don't know if he still has an article every once a week in the newspaper, Christian um, psychologist. Um, but his whole thing was we should be parenting the way our your grandparents parented and uh, his solution whenever there was any acting out is the doctor says you're not getting enough sleep that's the solution so go to your room and lay down your bed because you're just not obeying because you just can't function because you're not getting along with your siblings because you're sassing back the solution is you have to, you're not getting enough sleep go to bed and it's not a lie it is the truth it is a dominant factor for disobedience, and it's a dominant factor for sibling fighting um, that they're, not, they're sleep deprived. They should be on that schedule. You should be committed to that. I know you have shopping to do. I know you have things, places you want to go and things you want to do, but now you're a parent. Your life is not about you anymore. And for the Christian, it never is about you. I change my schedule when you need me my schedule gets put on hold i have put anniversary plans on hold wedding anniversary plans i have put lots of things on hold because i have a prior commitment becoming a parent is a commitment to a schedule and i have a list of things i want to accomplish um, but they are all secondary to the needs of this child to have a good schedule. So when I took my kids out, they always went out the same time. If I had to go do an errand, um, I did never interrupted their sleep schedule. I did not interrupt their food schedule. And I still don't. Now that it's grandkids, um, I will not do those things. I'll do it when they're awake, when they're bright, when they're alert. And even then, I minimally try to. It says, Pastor, how do you get anything done? Well, again, you have to evaluate the priorities of your life. Are we committed to our children growing in stature for their true health? And that's not going to the dentist and doctor and getting all their vaccinations. We're going to talk about that, too, in a couple weeks. Um, it's about 
primarily I'm committed to their well-being and I understand their needs and their needs are schedule and not only is it for their physical benefit and mental benefit it is for the benefit of their emotional self of the, the a child on a set schedule is safe they feel safe and when they feel safe and secure that they know what to come they know what's coming and that's why we're life I do the exact same thing every night even when we have special nights we don't interrupt the schedule so if there's snow cone night it's part of the activity time I don't I, I very rarely interrupt the schedule of the night because the children need to know what's coming. It makes them feel safe. Once they feel safe, they trust. Once they trust, they obey. And you have much, you have almost no disciplinary problems. People, adult parents come in and say, I don't know how you can handle all these kids and, and how, why they behave so well here. I was like, because we do the same thing every week. They know what's required of them. They, they feel safe. They trust. And then they obey. If you have a disruptive, irregular schedule as an adult that you're putting your child in the van and hauling them all over town, you're doing a disservice to them growing in stature. And you're going to have disciplinary issues. You're going to have problems with, with sibling fighting. You're going to have all kinds of issues like that. So this is not just, you know, if it's convenient, we will take a nap. No, this is nap time. And I unplug the phone. At my house. You know, I got little Levi sleeping in my office. I unplugged the phone. Nothing's going to disturb that nap. Not because I want to be relieved. I don't want him to wake up and have to deal with him. Because he needs that sleep. Why does everything else go smoothly? Because the schedule is predictable. And so when they, when they come in, and even if they don't get to my house the same time every time, I say, oh, it's this time. You know what time it is. It's nap time. Let's go take a nap. And they say, okay. I can count on my one hand the number of times I had any problem putting a grandchild to sleep. Because they know this is what's going to happen. And they're safe and they're compliant. And it helps them grow in stature. So do you have to put some of your life on hold? Um, no. You have to commit your life to someone else than your own interests. And in the interests of your child, you need to be committed to this schedule. And in our day and age, that means that not only moms but dads, because I know a lot of dads, uh, almost all the dads are also carrying that load. I carried that load. My wife worked. Granted, part-time, but she worked too. And so... I made a commitment that when my wife's at work, I will have this schedule. I will maintain the same schedule. Do some of the activities change when I'm at home instead of mom's at home? Yes, but the schedule is the same. So they might be washing floors and doing housework with mom. They might be outside digging around and, and whatever we did when it's dad. But it was the same time. And so part of the discipline that you need to have in your child's growth is not only diet, but schedule. They should be on a really good sleep schedule. 
And then I just referenced it. Their schedule also includes, includes exercise. Um, and particularly at this age right here, stand up, you back row again. Stand up for me. All right. This row particularly, if you're going to ask them to sit down in a desk for 40 minutes, you should give them 30 minutes to run. Think about school. What do they ask them to do? Sit, 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 and you get one gym period, right? Maybe you get lunch, and then you get some free time after lunch to go on the playground, and you get one activity period. Um, what a disaster. No wonder, especially boys, no wonder they are disciplinary problems. If your child's going to sit for 40, 45, 50 minutes, they need to have up to 30 minutes of activity, rigorous activity. And watching TV is not rigorous activity. Okay? Sitting in front of a video game is not rigorous activity. That means they go outside. Or if it's bad weather, they have other activities to do. You know, go downstairs. You know, we have a basement. Go down to the basement and play. You know, and they're going to play. It's mental. It's manipulative. They're using their hands. We're going to talk about coordination here if I have time tonight. And um, they need to have that exercise. And most of the reason that we have so many, especially boys, on Ritalin is because the model of our educational system is against them. You can sit down, guys. You look like you're just dying standing up. Oh, it's so hard, isn't it? And now you're sitting down. All right, so they need exercise, and not just a little bit. And, and you might say, oh, that's annoying. And you, No, you need to have it. They need to get outside, preferably. They need to be in the sun. Sunshine is such a benefit to their, not only their physicality, okay? And if you want to talk about that, I can talk about that, that, there's, that they need to be unsunscreened for 20 minutes in the sun. Sunshine is a physical benefit Okay. I have skin cancer, and they say it's because of the UV rays, and it's not. The predominant reason I have skin cancer is because I'm addicted to sugar. Okay, The other UV things, uh, uh, yes, sunburns and things are not healthy, um, but they need to be in the sun. They need to get 20 minutes on their face and hands and arms, and it is a benefit. God intended that. They should be physically active. Um, it is going to help them grow. Um, their joints need it as they grow. Their muscles need to be developed, and their dexterity needs to be developed. All right, and so they, their physical coordination. And so, yes, I took my children to the track. I take them out to a ball field and have them run and catch things and throw things and kick things. Um, and by the way, um, you say, well, I do that by entering them into organized sports. They're on the soccer team. They're on the little league team. They're on this team. And uh, I have a couple of research papers, if you're interested, that they did studies of children who were just sent outside to play with other children in an unorganized fashion versus children that played on teams. And they found out that the children playing in their backyard with other children got almost twice to three times the exercise of the children on sports teams. 
Because on sports teams, they're getting coaching, then they watch other kids, and they do a little bit, and, and you think they're getting exercise, but mostly they're not. Now, when I was a coach for Little League, um, I had a very different philosophy of it, and I had those kids come down, and I'm like, run, <laughs> run. And I had one mom come to me and says, my son has lost weight. He is, you know, he is a little roly-poly kid when he came, and... Uh, and whatever you're doing, it's really bad. We put him in all these sports trying to get him to lose weight, and he's finally doing it on your team, playing baseball of all things. Well, the other coaches, that's not the predominant thing. We got to build these other things. We got to learn the strategy of the game. We got to learn how to win. But they never got physical exercise. They get more physical exercise playing outside than joining sports teams in this country. And so while you're running around trying to be soccer mom, the kids are sitting in a van. They're going to go there and do more sitting to listen. They're going to do a couple of drills, and they're not going to get the amount of exercise they would just running around your backyard and up and down the street. And so we need to schedule that into their life and give them uh, the opportunity to do that and the mechanisms to do that. That means uh, toys and, and equipment and things like that to play. And play is good for their creativity, is much better for their creativity than being on a sports team. Uh, they are, they, it's just better for their learning um, uh, to uh, develop their uh, balance, to, to develop their, all their skills. They just do better on it in a natural setting. And, and I would watch my kids, they'd go out there and play, and they, they, they would fashion some weird game, and they would just compete as natural within the siblings and the neighbors in the neighborhood. The biggest problem is the other neighbors are off at the soccer team. They're not there to play with because they're being carted around. And then because mom is so busy carting around the soccer team, what does she feed them? She does, she's not at home to fix a good meal. So what happens? Yep, they're at McDonald's. They're at Burger King. They're at the pizza joint. They're getting fast food. And we just keep snowballing the detriment to our children growing in stature physically. Their physical bodies require these things, and the, and the world system works against it. And the end result is we have a child obesity problem that is out of control in this country. Um, and I haven't even gotten to the electronics, to the entertainment side. They should be self-entertaining. You don't have to go out and play with them. You need to send them outside. And they need to play. They need things to climb. They need things to throw, kick, um, all those kinds of things. And, and yes, cramming them into metropolitan areas um, is not conducive to that. And... We know that. That's why we put parks out there. But our parks aren't safe because our society isn't good. So this park over here, Tower Park, um, we have all kinds of problems uh, and with different issues at different times. And they keep trying to address it and address it. But fundamentally, it's just because it's wickedness. And so um, I tell people, this building is available to you whenever during the week. If you want to bring your kids over here and just sweat it up in here, I'm fine with that. You may have let them run around the parking lot on the, on the property. Um, this is what this structure is for. And um, I'm okay with that. 
That's what I do with my kids when they were growing up. I brought them over here on a bad, cold, wintry days. They didn't want to go outside and play. And they just, they sweated more in here than I, than I think anywhere else. Just playing. And that was when it was a concrete floor. <laughs> and cold. There was no heat. No, nothing. It was just, we keep this as a heated space throughout the winter. And uh, I'm more than happy to have your children in here playing to get the exercise they need during the winter. If you don't have outside space at your home or inside space that's conducive to that. But they need to have that in their life. Okay? Um, so that's just three areas. And we're going to talk about a few more. Um, but this is the area of discipline. You have to bring the structure. They cannot. They have no, neither the wisdom nor the skill to do that themselves. You need to have that structure for them. You need to be committed to saying, I'm not going to have my kids spend half their day in the back of a minivan while I drive around do errands. Period. It means that I'm more careful about my errands. I, I, and I did this before. I would say, okay, you're home. I'm going to go do this, this, this on one trip. And I would store them up and I would try to and I still do it today even though I don't have kids to watch I still go well I'm not going to drive there because that's just one thing I need if I'm going to leave my house in a vehicle I need to have like five stops <laughs> to make it worthwhile and and my wife said just go and get what you need I was like well I, I think I also need to do this so maybe I'll wait till tomorrow and I can do these three things okay and I don't even have kids in my car and I'm still trying to do that um, and so when we talk about these issues, I know that they're crimp your style, but guess what? Welcome to parenting. Your life isn't your own. It is there to raise these children. And the lifestyle issues of our nation and really our whole earth today is that we have had expectation of a standard of living that requires two incomes and the sufferers of that lifestyle are the children. You think you're suffering because you have to go to work, um, but the real ones that are paying the price for that are your children. They're being often raised by strangers. They are not getting the structure, the discipline they need. They need a schedule, they need a good diet, and they need exercise desperately need those things in a consistent manner so they feel safe they know what's coming and they're not in turmoil and most of your disciplinary problems are because we're not providing that now I grew up in a military home and so we had a lot of discipline in terms of speech behavior and things like that corrective action but because we lived in a military in the military, grew up in the military, we were moving every two years back then. Every two years, you were stationed somewhere else. Up, and if you've ever watched, um, what's the show about the baseball player that uh, didn't become a player until he was an adult? It's a true story. The Rookie. And, uh, and they show his childhood, and his dad was in the, in the military, and every two years, up, just when he got it good and got recognized in his, on his ball team, he had to up and move and up and move and up and move and up and move and um, 
It was disruptive. And it was a detriment. And so um, take these things to heart. Your life um, isn't your own. It belongs to God. When he has blessed you with children, um, that needs to be um, one of the high priorities is that now this is the discipline of my life. My life discipline, we're going to talk about it when we get to example, is going to be for their benefit. I'm not living for me. I'm living so that they can grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. And we see the evidences of these things in your word and these principles, and, and we know them, but we have difficulty practicing because our world is injurious, injurious to our children. And when we adopt their philosophies and adopt their lifestyles, um, there's always a victim. And Lord, we know the victims really are our children. And we pray that we might uh, take to heart the requirements that they have in their life, that they might grow in their stature. And we pray that we might uh, carefully evaluate our schedules, our food, our um, patterns of life, that we might um, be responsible parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and churches that are um, recognizing these needs in our children. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.